What's the goal of the FNF Coaches Podcast? We want you to learn something from the best coaches in high school football. We want you to grab a piece of paper and a pen and write down notes that will help you improve your program. Welcome back to the FNF Coaches Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Thanks again for listening. Our FNF Coaches platform includes our website, fnfcoaches.com. Visit that to get all of our latest stories on program building, culture. We have X's and O's content on that site written by other coaches. We have videos with at-home workouts. We have coaches breaking down film. Visit the website, fnfcoaches.com. You can also subscribe to the magazine on that same fnfcoaches.com website. You'll receive the magazine at your school or home in 2021. For just $19.95, that includes five editions. Also, finally, for the purposes of the FNF Coaches podcast, subscribe at Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on TuneIn. Any of your preferred platforms, the FNF Coaches podcast is available. We're excited about today's guest, another state champion coach. Few coaches in the country can match resumes with John Holmes who led the Bishop Miege football team in Kansas to six consecutive state championships from 2014 to 2019. The Bishop Miege head coach took over after eight years as an assistant in 2012. He shares his philosophy about culture building, how he sets expectations for players, and some of the traditions he's put in place to help with team building. Without further ado, here's the interview with Coach Holmes. Coach Holmes, welcome to the FNF Coaches Podcast. Yeah, Dan, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to talking a little bit about Bishop Meage with everybody today. And we're really looking forward to talking to you about culture building. It's been a big topic for us uh, over the last few weeks, and along with talking to you, we've talked to other coaches about it. And we spoke about a week ago just to kind of go over some topics for today's podcast. One of them was incorporating parents into the culture building process. A lot of coaches say that getting parents on the same page is one of the bigger challenges that they have. Why do you think it's so important to get parents involved when you're trying to set a culture for your program? At times, you know, some of these kids, they might not be open and talking to their parents about things where, you know, if there's a policy we have or there's, you know, a certain schedule we have, you know, they may not communicate that with their parents. So what I do is I hopefully eliminate that miscommunication between the player and the parent to where everything's out in the open, everybody knows what our expectations are, everybody knows what our schedule is, um, and now we're able to just move on and get to the football part. So, um, you know, we've had really good luck with that, um, you know, with our parents being invested in the program as well. Um, you know, just because it's a big, you know, for these young uh, kids, some of their parents got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and get them to those workouts. So, you know, everybody needs to make sure everybody's all invested and everybody's on, you know, I think really important with 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 everybody being on the same page as well yeah and it is important to have parents uh you know know why it's all happening like why are why is my kid making this commitment when he's typically doing other things in the off season and you know once you explain to him hey we're looking out for your best interest just like you are it kind of all works together now, uh, when you when you go through this, those expectations and you let the parents know and you let the players know, I would assume it's not a one-and-done deal. Are you are constantly reinforcing with your players, hey, these are the expectations, These are this is what I expect from you from the commitment? Is it is it a 365-day-a-year process where you're always kind of talking culture and building the culture? 
Yeah, absolutely. Just because there's different phases of it. Um, you know, there's the off-season phase, there's the summer phase, and then there's the in-season phase. Um, you know, in all three of those phases, that mentality has got to be different. You know, um, I think in the summer phase, you got to get those kids excited for the season. You got to get certain questions answered depth chart wise. Um, you got to make sure that all your position battles are done the right way and that you're giving every kid the best opportunity to win that spot. Um, you know, and then from an off season standpoint, you got to touch on the weaknesses that you felt like you had in the season. You know, you got to be able to address those things. Um, and then in season, obviously, I mean, it's a sprint every day, um, you know, trying to get better every day, trying to improve, trying not to let, you know, those same mistakes happen over and over again on a daily basis. You know, and I think our players understand that they get those three phases. They get they're all different and they get that the mindset is different because, you know, what we don't want to do with our kids is we don't want to burn them out. So we got to be careful with what we do with them in the summer. You know, we got to be careful how we practice them in the fall. Um, you know, because a few years ago, we felt like as a staff and as a team, we were burnt out when it came to the playoffs because we had gone through the summer with only one week off. We had five days off in the last six months. So for us, that was not good. So we've kind of gone through and had to change some of that, um, you know, but I think our players understand that as well. Mm -hmm. I talked to another coach, uh, Steve Specht, a few weeks ago and his big thing with culture. He does have a slogan every year and it kind of changes depending on what the team looks like. But his thing that never changes is he he said, uh, what what should it look like? You know, what should a practice at the school look like? What should the weight room look like? If I walk into a classroom with football players in the classroom, what should it look like in terms of sitting up front, taking notes, uh, paying attention, being engaged? And he has he has expectations for all different parts of the program. What would you say the expectations are with your program, both, you know, on the field in practice in games in the weight room and in the classroom? Yeah. You know, I think first on the field, you know, there's certain things we need, need, need to accomplish every day. And we have a daily theme every single day. Um, we reinforce that with the players pre-practice. Um, we have an objective every day as to what needs to be accomplished. Um, they understand Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, they understand what every one of those days needs to look like. Um, you know, and I kind of say the same thing, you know, if there's a coach or there's a visitor or somebody that walks onto this field and this is the only time they see you, what are they going to think? You know, and we got to have that mindset every single day, um, you know, so I think that's what's been important there. And then the one thing I try to do off the field with them is they got to understand what it means to represent Bishop Miege every single day. Um, you know, we feel like we're a, we're a special community. We've been around since 1958. So we have an, you know, a tremendous tradition, um, you know, but, but with that, with playing football here, there, 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 there is an expectation that comes with that. Um, so you got to reinforce that on a daily basis. You got to get them to understand decisions they make good or bad is going to affect them. Um, you know, so I think, I think that's where you, you, you got to be really clear on what your expectations are of them away from the field. Um, you know, because we don't want anything we do away from the field to affect the success we can have on the field. That's what we always tell our guys. Yeah. One thing that just caught my ear uh, when you said there are expectations for each day of the week, I, we talked to so many coaches who are looking to kind of implement a schedule and a routine football is kind of a routine based sport where you want to be, have your players, you know, used to certain things on certain days. What does your schedule uh, look like each week from Monday to Friday? 
Yeah, you know, Monday is kind of our mental day. Um, you know, we kind of come in. We play JV games on Monday. So, for us, it's just our varsity players. It's about 35 to 40 guys. Um, so, we come through and, you know, walk through the opponent first. That's the very first thing we do. Um, we go through their base offense, base defense, and then we get into any game plan checks that we're going to have that week. Um, and then Tuesday for us is all about toughness. Um, you know, we got to be able to come in. We got to be able to compete. So the one thing we do um, to start practice on Tuesdays right after stretch, we get into a best on best period where whether it's a two minute or a second and seven or a goal line situation, we always get our number one offense against our number one defense because we feel like that's going to set the tone for the whole entire week. Um, you know, and then Wednesday, we try to, again, get a competition period. But then that's when there's stuff that you get from Tuesday's practice that you got to get cleaned up. So that mistake cannot be made on Wednesday. Um, and then Thursday is all about details. Um, it's all about the fine tuning thing. We have a 26 play mock game script that we go through. Um, all special teams are incorporated in it. It's game speed. We're bringing guys off the sideline. Um, everybody's moving around. Music's blaring. So it's pretty chaotic. Um, and that's what we want. We want our kids to be able to be comfortable in those situations. Um, and then obviously Friday is the game day. So, you know, that's kind of where, what we try to get to. And then Saturday we spend um, a couple hours in the morning with our players watching the game from Friday and correcting those mistakes so we can turn the page to the opponent once once that next week rolls around. Mm-hmm. And now we, you talk about game scripts. Um, it's funny, you know, those those will drive you crazy. Like if you're watching a game – um and you know you're rooting for a team and they come out you know first play of the game offensive possession and they're like you know lined up in an illegal formation or something you're like oh man how many times must they have gone over this script and walkthroughs and thing and you know they can't get, get lined up for the first play of the game but uh it's interesting because you know there a lot can go wrong in a game and that's kind of why you put those scripts in place would you say when you're putting a script in place is it you hear some coaches say that they're they're running plays to see how the defense is going to defend it, and then that will inform them on how they're going to be calling plays later in the game. Or are you calling plays in that script like, this is what we saw on film, we're going to try to take advantage of this right away and maybe try to hit a big play? Yeah, I do. Um, when I script, I try to do both of those things, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's certain things that we do. Um, you know, if if we watch tape and we see an opponent having success in a certain formation against an opponent – we may try to get in that if that's in our offense, um, you know, but then also what we try to do is we really self scout ourselves and we try to see what tendencies we have from week to week. And then within our first 15 plays is what we try to script. Um, now, very, very rarely have we gone through one through 15, you know, we try to get all 15 of those plays in, um, you know, some games we do, some games we don't, um, you know, but then what we got to do is say, all right, if they saw us do this, on film last week, we got to make sure we don't do that this week. Um, you know, so that, that's what, you know, our staff does a, does a really good job of is saying, hey, anytime we were in pistol, here's what we were doing. When we were in trips, here's what we were doing. Um, you know, so for us, that's really important because, you know, we, we, we play against some really good coaches that understand that and will and will exploit those things if they see tendencies on films. So um, that's what's good for us. But getting back on the script thing, too, we script every day in practice as well. So our players know by Friday what we're comfortable with in certain situations. Um, you know, every one of our team periods is a situation, uh, whether it's a third down or it's a goal line or it's a red zone. 
Um, and I think it's really important when you get into those situations um, to where players know, all right, this is what we're going to run. And comes time to the game, that's what we're able to do. So all that's being really upfront too with your players and they understand it. Um, I give our quarterbacks a copy of our script every Thursday um, that has all of our, all of our plays on it. And then our, and then our, our um, uh, first 15 plays is on that. Yeah. That's exciting. I bet that's an exciting thing to get that script. I was uh, reading an article a couple of weeks ago about Andy Reed uh, mapping out his, you know, first 15 or first 25 plays and people are just, uh, you know, people on his staff and even his quarterback are just sitting there by their computer every day. I think he, I think he might, do it Monday morning, but you know, they're sitting by their computers waiting for that thing and they read it and then they get all fired up. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, this is how we're going to exploit the other team. So I'm sure they're, you know, your quarterback's excited to get that stuff. I do want to go back to culture a little bit with you. Um, you had mentioned when we talked a week ago, meeting with other coaches outside the program and trying to kind of borrow and steal things that might help with your program. And there's no shame in that in the coaching profession, how do you facilitate those uh, mentoring opportunities and what do those meetings look like? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think one thing I try to do is um, when I go speak at clinics, um, you know, I, I either look at the speaker lineup in advance or, you know, try to get figured out um, s- some other guys that are there. Um, you know, and I know one guy the last couple of years that we've talked a lot back and forth is um, Tom Wilson from uh, Dallin Catholic, who you guys featured in one of your articles as well. Right. You know, they won seven titles in a row. So, you know, you you try to get in with those guys. And really, you know, when I talk with Coach Wilson, it's it's anything from program building to offense to defense to how they defend certain things. Um, you know, you just try to dive into it and say, you know, especially each year when you have such high expectations, um, how do you get your kids to buy into that each year? You know, so there's little things that you pick up from each one of those guys. Um, you know, then when you go and you sit down and you listen to clinics on these guys, um, you know, you're able to sit down with them afterwards, uh, to where you have some, you know, questions. And I always try to reach out to guys in advance, um, that, that I'm going to see places, um, to see if I can get a couple minutes with them and just pick their brain about, you know, one or two things to where if it's something we can incorporate back in our program, that would be great. Yeah. Do you have an example of one or two things that you've taken from other coaches and brought to your program that have worked well? Yeah, you know, um, a lot of the stuff that I bring back is, you know, a lot of it is the is the player development stuff. Um, so, you know, I've gotten a lot of stuff on how to, you know, sit down and meet with players one-on-one, um, you know, how to, how, how to go through the evaluation process with them, you know, have them evaluate themselves first, and then you evaluate and see, and see where the differences are. Um, I think that's one big thing that I picked up. Um, and then, two, picking up, you know, little things in practice you can do um, to where you can pick the energy up level. You know, I listened um, to a coach one time they had a turnover bucket out on the field um, for their, for their team defense stuff during practice. Well, we've incorporated that. And since we've incorporated that in our program, our turnovers have gone up, you know, to where you make it exciting when a kid gets a turnover, you know, and you see that now when you watch college football, when, when kids come off and they're, you know, having parties on the sideline or they're dunking basketballs or they're getting a chain on, you know, those are those things that you got to be able to incorporate in practice to where when something like that happens in a game, everybody's fired up for that. And those are those little things um, that, you know, I've really been able to pick up from some of the. 
Yeah, you'll see uh, guys in college wearing championship belts and stuff like that on the sideline. It's pretty funny. Oh yeah. How does the turnover bucket work? Is it do you throw the football in after you after you cause a turnover or what? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So 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 each time we have a turnover, and usually what our guys do is one guy sprints to the bucket, and sometimes he'll lift it up in the air to where the second guy can you know dunk it or. You know, sometimes they'll throw alley-oops to each other, um, you know, and kind of what I do after a turnover is I'll move the bucket. So then it'll get moved to the other side to where they don't know where it is. So now it's teaching guys now once that turnover's there, hey, defense has got to get to the end zone. Well, the bucket is the end zone. So those guys get it. And, um, you know, the defensive staff's gotten into it as well. And, you know, it just makes things, you know, I mean, practice is practice. I mean, it, it can be really, really repetitive on a daily basis so we got to bring a little bit of fun into it every day yeah absolutely that's great well the uh one of the other things that we talked about last week that uh, I found interesting was individual player meetings at the end of a season kind of kind of an exit interview type of thing and but what really um surprised me is you have 108 players that you did that to what's the structure for those interviews and what types of questions are you asking Yep. Yep. So really there's uh, two different structures. One is for our seniors. So obviously their eligibility is done, so they're not going to be playing. So those meetings, what you try to do is you try to, uh, you know, number one, thank them for everything they've done in the last four years in your program. I think that's really important um, because you obviously ask those guys to sacrifice a lot in the four years that they're here. Um, And then number two, you kind of touch on, hey, what are your plans next year? Um, you know, if they're playing football in college, do they know where they're going? Are they going to need some help with that? Um, you know, and then, you know, if they're just going to school, do they want to get involved in the football program at the school they're going to as a manager, student assistant? Um, is there anything they need help trying to get into a certain program at that school? Um, and then two kind of touching base with those seniors on, hey, here's what I felt like you did a really good job of. Here's what I felt like as you move on you know, in life, not just in football, but as you go on to go into college and try to be, you know, get get a good job after college, here's some things, some skills that you may want to make sure you keep working on. Um, and then with our returning players, it's all about, you know, we give them a target weight. You know, what do you want to weigh next year? What do you want to bench? What do you want to squat? What do you want to clean? To where they have those expectations now. Say, all right, you told me you wanted to bench 315. If you walk in the weight room and they got 200 pounds on the bar, that's not going to get it done. So I think that's good to, to, to kind of get that. And then we kind of touch base on everything from how they do in the classroom, where they need to improve there, how are they doing on the field. And then um, the last thing that I added is, is, is kind of what our expectation as a staff was next year for them. You know, we see you as a starter. We see you as a key special teams guy. We see you as a guy, maybe JV, that could get some varsity time, um, you know, and and I really think that was really good. I mean, it was the first time I had done that to where you sit there with a kid to where it takes any question away when the season comes around what their role is going to be for you, you know, and I think it motivates the kids. Well, if coach said I want to be on special teams, I want to be a defensive starter, you know, so I think to where they're able to hear that from the – from the head coach's mouth was, I think, really important to where you sit down and go through each player. And, you know, I think our players really appreciated it because I think they understand the amount of time that went into it to where you go through and you write down. I mean, I I wrote an evaluation out on every guy. So, you know, I think that was important um, moving forward for sure. When do you do that meeting? Because it sounds like it takes some time to put that together before you're ready to meet with guys. 
Yeah, so for us, we did it um, two weeks after our season ended. So uh, we had kind of a, you know, a week off around Thanksgiving, and then we had two weeks to where our kids were finishing up the semester before Christmas break. So, you know, I did it in those two weeks, and, you know, I only offered seven slots in the morning and seven slots after school for two straight weeks. So our guys had to sign up on their own. Um, you know, so you get that responsibility to where, Hey, you know, get on this Google doc, get in, put your name in. So I know what time you're coming in. Um, you know, and, and, and of every one of those meetings, we had zero kids late and zero kids missed the meeting. So to me, you know, that's where you're talking about culture and you're talking about building things. You know, most of the time the kids were waiting outside the door as the one kid was leaving from the meeting. So, you know, I think that really showed me, you know, I think about how special of a culture we've built here to where on a daily basis, you may not see that you may not do it. You may take it for granted sometimes. So I think that really opened my eyes and I advise every coach to to go through that process because it teaches a lot about the players and it teaches a lot about yourself too. Yeah. And that, that made me think of something. How do you actually see culture uh, come to light, like in a game situation, what are there, uh, you know, is it when adversity hits that you say, okay, this team has a great culture because they can dig themselves out of this hole or how does it really show up on the field? Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, I think for us, it's how we try to do everything on a game night. You know, um, if, if we travel a certain distance, we're going to be in certain ties on the bus. You know, when we get off the bus, you know, the guys are going to have their jerseys on or, or, you know, jerseys are going to be over their pads there's little things that we have to do once we get there, um, you know, and then, and then once the game starts, there's always one or two things di- during a game you can see, you know, and for us, we see it, you know, when it comes to certain situations, um, you know, there's times we've gotten the ball late in the game or late in the half to where the players automatically look at the clock and they'll say, Hey, we've got a minute 43, one timeout. We need to touch that. We do a lot of that stuff in practice to where they, Hey coach, what's the situation? you know, to where they understand it and they get it, um, you know, but typically for us, when the adversity hits us, you know, we're able to respond to that, I think, and our players are able to understand that. Um, and that's the little things that you see, I think, with the culture, you see how your captains handle the team. I think you see how everybody cheers on each other on the sideline. Um, you know, if, if, if a mistake is made from one of our players, you know, typically, there's not any other player going up to them, you know, and asking them why they did it or how they did it. It's always, hey, man, you're all right. You know, pat them on the back and get it next time. You know, and I think that's where when you establish a culture in a in a winning culture, that's what's got to take place. Yeah, and I guess anytime you're trying to set um, uh, high expectations and, and lofty goals for your team, you're going to have situations where you have address have to address players who may not be meeting those expectations. What, what is that process like for you? How does that happen? Yeah. Um, you know, I think a lot of those times when stuff happens, um, you know, there's been some disciplined things off the field, um, you know, to where when, when those mistakes are made, the player understands exactly what they did wrong, you know, and that's where we got to get them to understand that, you know, number one, I mean, I think the number one thing you got to do when you try to, to, to get things to where mistakes aren't happened twice is they got to first admit that, that a mistake was made and that what they did was wrong. Um, you know, and that's always the first step in the recovery process is you got to admit there's a problem. You got to admit there's a mistake. Now together we're going to work on getting this done and we're going to work on not repeating this mistake. 
Um, you know, and, and two, I mean, I think that's a little of that tough love sometimes, you know, I think that's what, when you go back to getting your parents bought in, um, you know, when those mistakes are made, you know, nine times out of 10, your parents are going to support the head coach and support the things that you do because together we both want the best for the player. Um, you know, so, so I think at the end of the day, that's, what's really important in those situations is the player has to understand that, that me as a coach, yes, I'm disappointed. Um, you know, now we got to earn that trust back and here's how we can do it. Um, you can't just, you know, chew them out and then tell them to get out of your office and, and not give them any help and how they're going to be able to not repeat mistakes. Um, you know, and I think that's what we've tried to work on here, um, you know, to where our players understand it, to where we're not repeating the same mistakes and other guys on the teams aren't, aren't repeating mistakes. And, um, you know, I think that's when that culture keeps getting developed there. Right. Now you mentioned when you were uh, filling out a staff, the most important hires were the coordinators, offensive and defensive coordinators. When you were making those hires, was it uh, was it the actual scheme paramount? Like, were there different schemes that you wanted to run, and you found the guys who were experienced at doing that, or was it you wanted to find the best leader, or you wanted to find people who could be flexible depending on the talent level of the team and change their scheme accordingly? Or what were you looking for with those two yeah. hires? Um, you know, I think number one, you got to find great teachers. Um, you know, especially at the high school level, I mean, there's a wide a wide range of talent on a roster in high school. There's kids that are really skilled. There's kids that have never played the game. Um, there's kids that are okay, you know, and, and, and that's what we want to do. So, you know, I think you, you find a guy, number one, that's a great teacher um, that understands that. And then number two, I think you got to find, find guys that can adapt what they do to fit your personnel. Um, you know, we've gone back and forth with stuff on both sides of the ball um, depending upon each year, you know, this year we might be more run heavy because we have this personnel this year on defense. Let's try this because of these guys, um, you know, and that's what you got to be able to do as a coach. You know, I'm not a believer in this is the system we're running because if I look at my roster and we don't have those guys, they're not going to be successful running what we want. So, you know, that's where when you go to hire coordinators, especially they, they got to be able to do multiple things. They got to be able to have different ideas. Um, you know, but I think most importantly, at the end of the day, they got to be able to teach not only the players, but also the other coaches what they want. You know, I think that's what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. When you and the other day when we spoke, you said the the playing time is kind of uh, directly related to the the commitment of the players. And if they are in your offseason program and they're in the summer program and they're doing everything they need to do, that's a good way to get themselves on the field. Uh, but there is the talent element to that. And how do you balance that? Is Do you typically see if the investment is made from a player that, hey, th- there you go, you just earned yourself playing time because now you're the best player? Or is there, do you have to weigh that and say, well, this other guy wasn't as available in the offseason, but he was doing other things. He's the most talented guy. We have to play him. How do you balance that? Yeah, um, you know, I, I, think, I think the players got to understand that there needs to be the expectation first, um, you know, so typically what we've gone through here is we haven't had situations since I've been the head coach where we have a really talented player that's never around in the off season. Um, you know, so we've been really lucky and fortunate there. Um, you know, now we have guys that have to miss certain things in the summer that go play in baseball tournaments, you know, or go play in basketball tournaments. 
Um, you know, but, but that's where we're up front with it. Um, you know, in the, and we understand that with, Hey, this is when this kid's going to be gone. Um, you know, here's cause we, we don't set a percentage they have to be at, you know, typically everybody's at 80% of our stuff. Um, you know, and I think that's important, um, you know, too, but I think, you know, when you get a player that comes in as a, as a freshman at times, we've had kids come in as freshmen where we look and say, man, this kid's going to have to really get better for them to be an impact guy junior and senior year and guess what they invest in our program junior and senior year they're they're they are impact guys for us so you know i think that's where you got to even it out um because our best players understand there are guys uh chomping at the bit to take their spot you know and i think i think you got to understand that to where you look at really good teams there's competition within that team for every spot on the on the on the field so the best teams we've had here we have had the best depth. We've had kids compete. Our practices are really spirited. They're really competitive, um, you know, and all that kind of goes into, I think, what you said is the expectation with the guys and that they understand we're going to play the best guy, you know, so I think that's important. Yeah, you mentioned 80% attendance in the offseason. What metrics do you track in terms of player participation? Are you tracking each lift or are you uh, do you have like a max lift day or what, what, what are the different things you're tracking in the off season to measure whether a player is committed? Yep. Uh, you know, so number one is the uh, attendance aspect of it, you know, and our players are in weights classes. Um, so right now of our, of our guys on our roster, you know, we, we only have about 12 guys not in a weights class. Well, those guys are coming in before or after school and getting that lift in four days a week, you know, so I think you track the attendance piece of it. Um, if a player is involved in another sport, then they're, you know, through their weights class, they're getting two to three lifts a week. Um, so that's kind of what we want to make sure that, that, that they do there. Um, and then what we do in the summer with it is we make a game of it. So we draft our roster into eight teams and we, we select as a coaching staff, we select eight senior leaders to draft their team. And we have a draft day. The players come in with their rosters, with who they want, um, you know, and it's essentially fantasy football. Who, who do you want? Well, what we do there in the summer then with it is we have challenges. We have different things they do. Now, attendance is a piece of it. But then our testing, so our bench squat, clean, 40s, pro agility, broad jump, uh, you know, vertical, all of that stuff, we award points to certain teams if guys, you know, well, yeah, this team won this challenge. Um, and then we have some team building stuff that we do with it, where we do different relays. You know, we do different things. You know, we have a costume day. Who can come dressed up the best to depict the theme you have for your team is going to win the challenge today. You know, and I think those are those things where the players get it and the players really get bought into it. We've been doing that the last six years, and it's really been great to see how kids buy into that. What's the reward for winning that? Do you have, uh, do you, you know, do anything good for the winning group? We do. So um, we have that winning team comes over to my house and, and we have a cookout or pizza. Um, you know, we play yard games and do all that stuff for the night. So, um, you know, that's usually a pretty fun night in the summer with those guys. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, now, in terms of establishing your culture over the last, uh, you know, since your hire in 2012, what are some of the challenges that you've encountered that um, other coaches should keep in mind? Yeah, you know, number one is managing high expectations. Um, you know, you cannot let – you can't let your kids feel the pressure of the expectations you have. You know, that's your job as the head coach is, you know, 
you're going to get the brunt of some of this stuff. You know, there's going to be certain decisions you make that you're the one that has to make those decisions. Um, you know, so if you want to keep all that success going. Um, two, and, and, you know, I think some stuff that, that I know I've seen here, you know, with our guys is you got to give a little bit more than you have in the past. Um, you know, there's going to be kids that are involved in way more things. There's going to be kids that want to do more things. Um, you know, and at a school our size, we're about 650 students. We need everybody on our team. So if they're going to be involved in other sports, we're going to work with that. You know, I think when you come, you know, I think you come in as a head coach, you have tunnel vision. You only see the things you want to see, um, you know, especially when you're coming in, trying to establish who you are and what you want to do. Um, you know, but I think what we've been blessed with here at Miege is, you know, we have a staff of coaches in every sport that that understand what we do as a school and understand the importance our players play in each other's programs um you know so you got to develop great relationships with those guys in your school um you know and then i think the last thing is you know with the admin side of things you got to understand things that the administrators do why they make decisions you know as a as a as a young guy i i didn't see that all the time you know i only saw what i wanted well here's what's best for these guys well now you got to be able to see the big, big picture of things. And, you know, I really saw, you know, that with our administration this offseason when they were dealing with with COVID for the first time and everything they had to do on a daily basis and the protocols and procedures they had to put into play. Um, you know, I think those are big things because without support from your admin, it's really hard to develop a program and to get that culture set the way that you want. Yeah. And what what about setting a culture? um so that the freshmen, uh, when they come into the program, know the expectations and have kind of a step ahead. Have you done anything to develop kind of a pipeline from the youth level up through your high school program? Yeah, you know, so for us, it's tough because, you know, being a being a private school, we don't have feeder schools. So, you know, what we got to do is we have a youth camp that we have for, for fourth grade to eighth graders um, every summer. So 90% of our team has attended that camp their fourth grade year through their eighth grade year. So for us, our, our players work that camp. Um, so when a kid comes in as a freshman, he's going to know some of our current players. He's going to know some of our current coaches, you know, and I think that's really important. And then with the whole summer draft that we do, our seniors draft our freshmen sight unseen. Some of them might not know who they are. Some of them might know who they are, um, but the, our freshmen get invested in that and our seniors are around them. Um, you know, they're working out with our varsity guys. They're working out with our varsity coaches. They're doing everything because they're seeing the way we do things at the varsity level. So then the older they get them, that's where we've been really lucky to play. I mean, we've, we've played a dozen freshmen in these 10 years at the varsity level. You know, we've started probably 25 to 30 sophomores at the varsity level in these last nine years. Um, you know, that's because – they understand it. They understand what the culture is. They understand what it takes. They understand the buy-in, you know, and that's something they learn from coming to our camp and seeing our coaches and seeing our players stay after a workout and work with them six hours. You know, that's what they got to do, you know, and I think they really understand that and it's really helped ease them into things when they get to high school. Yeah, that's great. Now, what about, in we always like to offer our coaches um, kind of a heads up if there's any new technology apps or anything that are helping coaches out there win. Is there a new piece of technology uh, that you've been using in the last year or two or a new app or anything like that that's yeah, helping you? Know, really, um, 
you know, I think the biggest piece of technology we use is in our weight room. Um, you know, we use Rack Performance. Uh, we've been using Rack for a while now, but really what they've done in the last couple of years has really changed how we do things in the weight room. You know, it's a timing system. You're able to put your workouts in it. You're able to track the progress of your players in the weight room. Um, you know, and that's what's been really important to us is, hey, you came in as a freshman and you benched 110 pounds. Now you're benching 230 pounds. And they're able to see that progress through their freshman year, through their senior year. Um, you know, it, it, it helps with the organization of a workout. It helps with the pace of the workout. Um, you know, so that's one thing we've been lucky enough to use with Rack over the years is, you know, it allows us to come in. It allows us to have the workout on the board. The players know where it is. Once that buzzer goes off, they work. When it beeps, the workout's over, and they understand that. So it's really helped us. You know, because in high school, we don't have two hours of lift. Hey, we, we might have 40 minutes today. We might have 45 minutes. You know, so we're able to do that and set the structure that we want using that. Yeah, that's good. That's great. That's a good piece of technology for you. In terms of your budget, um, you know, obviously the pandemic has affected everybody's budget. A lot of teams didn't have uh, fans at games this fall. Uh, do you have a booster club that can help you with those things? and Or have you found any new fundraisers uh, during the pandemic that have worked out well for you? Yeah, so what we're able to do as a school is, you know, we just have one general fund, um, you know, to where all of our fundraising runs through our development office here. So, you know, we've been lucky enough to where if we go to the booster club with something, um, you know, we have been able to get it now. You know, what, what I always try to do and what I advise other coaches do is have a wish list. Always have a list of things you want. Um, you know, that could be new headsets, new sleds, new uniforms, new end zone camera, you know, new a, a new monitor for the sideline replay, you know, all sorts of stuff. And that's what I do. You know, if 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 I go into our president and say, you know, hey, here's something we may need. He's able to take that to our booster club who then can look at it and see if it's something that we're going to be able to get or not. So, um, you know, that's what we've been lucky to where we've we've had a pretty supportive group, you know, whether it's you know, our development office raising money or if it's our booster club providing things for us, you know, we've been good to where we've been able to get all those little things that we need. That's great. Uh, last question, and then I'll uh, I'll let you get going. But I wanted to ask about the mental side of uh, football right now with, you know, cancellations, postponements, the, you know, a lot of the stuff is not in person. Some of that team camaraderie maybe uh, got lost in 2020 just because of the restrictions is there have you been monitoring that more this year and have has there any anything that you can do as a coach to make sure your players feel supported in that way yeah you know i think number one they got to know that you're there for them um you know and that's where i've tried to reach out to them way more than i typically do you know where it's it's just a simple text message you know you never know the power that a text message or that an email or that a huddle message or something plays on a kid um you know and that's what i've been really you know, I sit down and there's certain kids each day that you try to reach out to, certain groups that you try to text, um, you know, just so they understand, you know, and, and two, you're honest with them. You know, this pandemic wasn't easy mentally on me, um, you know, and I think they, you know, hear the struggles I'm having with it and that I had with it, um, you know, and the struggles my family had with it. It's the same struggles they had, you know, so I think they need to understand that you need to be really transparent with them, um, you know, because it's obviously been a big struggle on a daily basis. You know, I think, I think our players and, you know, coaches saw the stress in my eyes every single day coming out to practice. You know, there were a couple of practices we got stopped in the middle of practice. 
you know, where there was, you know, a call with a, with a positive case or a quarantine or something. So, you know, we had to do those things. We had to go through, through those things. And I think, I think our players were able to see that, Um, you know, I think they understood if they had problems, if they had concerns, they were able to address it with me, Um, you know, but, you know, going, going back to it, you know, I think the players need to know, you know, and, and, you know, coaches have told me this for a long time, you know, a player doesn't know how much you know until they know how much you care about them. So I think this has really brought that to light where the players understand it and they know, you know, hey, if you need something, you know, I'm just checking in. But if you need something, I'm always here for you. And, and that's important because it can be hard for a kid to come into their head coach's office and sit down. You know, it can be a tough conversation you have to have with them. You know, but I think if they know that, they know the door's open, they know you care about them, it's going to be easier to have those uh, talks with them. Yeah, that's great that you did that. I think football, you know, it's such a, a sport about mental toughness and physical toughness. And some, it's hard sometimes for guys to say, hey, I could use some help right now. But uh, that's important that you shared your experience with them and let them know, hey, I'm here for you if you need help because we all need it right now. Well, Coach, uh, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate you taking it. You've been one of the uh, most successful high school coaches in the country over the last decade, so it's been an honor to have you on. Thanks so much uh, for taking the time and joining the FNF Coaches Podcast. All right, I appreciate it, Dan. I appreciate you reaching out, and thanks for having me on. Thanks again to Coach Holmes for joining the podcast and talking with us about culture. Follow him on Twitter, at Coach John Holmes. That's at Coach J-O-N-H-O-L-M-E-S. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to give the pod a five-star review on your preferred platform. The FNF Coaches Podcast is an AE Engine production. Eric Estep here. This episode is brought to you by Forney Industries. Get it done with green. Forney offers a full line of welding and plasma cutting machines, metalworking accessories, and more. For do-it-yourselfers all the way to professional metalworkers, Forney has everything you need for your next project. Shop Forney's top-of-the-line products at forneyind.com. That's Forney, F-O-R-N-E-Y, ind, I-N-D.com, or at an authorized Forney dealer near you.